Hi, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, the king of co-op, Steve Kingsley, and his special guest are going to review a game for you and have a related discussion. And without further ado, here's Steve! Okay, welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. This is Steve. I'm here with a special guest, Jim, from One for All Games. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Jim. So we are here to talk about a game that's currently in Kickstarter, and that is a game called Soul Raiders. So if you're interested in the game, this is a perfect opportunity to ask questions you have. It's running until the 6th of uh, August. That's right. That's right. So it's still live on Kickstarter, and I assume there's going to be some method of getting it as a late pledge, too, even after that date, in case people watch this later. Yeah, definitely. Uh, in the pledge manager as a late pledge, for sure. Perfect, perfect. But first, I'd like to thank our Patreon supporters. This week, I'd like to thank Steve Colgrave, co-op fan, Billy Mustache, co-op fan, and Torgir Jong, co-op lover. Thanks to you and all our Patreon supporters who keep this content going. But yeah, if you happen to be watching us live, we are on YouTube, we are watching the uh, chat section. So if you have any questions or comments you want to make, drop them there and we will field them as they come in. But I've got some questions already prepared, and I think we'll just dive into it. So... First thing I like to always ask our guests is I like to know because we are all like gamers at heart. I feel like <laughs> in this hobby, <Yeah. laughs> this industry. <laughs> so like, so Jim, what's your background? Like, what type of games have you been playing recently? Recently, I've, uh, I went back to an old, uh, an old, uh, I'd say that an old addiction of mine, which is uh, trading card games, uh, because I've been playing a lot of a game called Flesh and Blood, which is a really awesome game that was uh, is, has been out for a couple of years now, and is uh, kind of Magic the Gathering, but um, much better in terms of game design, in my opinion. Cool. So I went back to that, but. At heart, when I started the uh, the gaming, I was uh, playing lots of uh, role playing games uh, and war games, like miniature games, uh, you know, Warhammer and the likes. Uh, and then I moved on to board games uh, when I was, I don't know, when I was a teenager, and uh, I started working in the industry, uh, like just as a retail shop, mm-hmm. a retail store, and uh, and that got me hooked on board games. <laughs> real bad i was like spending all, uh, maybe half my salary in 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 the games that i was selling during the day I, i've always been kind of an uh, i'll say that an omni gamer i play all kind of games from the party games to the very heavy ones but if you give me the choice i would i would rather spend a few hours on a game or you know uh, like something pretty meaty with lots of uh, uh lots of themes or lots of you know um uh how to say thing that prick your brain and gets you like really involved in the in the game session in the game you are you are playing so yeah it's more heavy games for now okay and with the but with the pandemic uh i've i've done mostly uh role-playing games which are easier to set up when you have stuff like roll 20 and such uh and this card game i was mentioning because uh, we just play with tiny cameras and it's it's pretty uh, easy to do rather than having a board game night even though i have tabletop simulator and stuff like that but mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting how much the pandemic has really hit you know gamers like us and trying to find ways of playing games remotely like that and rpgs are fantastic like you said for that type of play with like roll 20 um, i know on the channel we use tabletop sim to play as well uh, remotely on occasion mm-hmm. and uh and but if you have camera systems like i i used to play uh, lord of the rings the living card game uh, with a buddy of mine on the west coast i'm on east coast of the united states yeah 
we used to play that uh, weekly and all we had was cameras aiming down to the table and play and it, it worked nice it worked for pretty us. cool yeah yeah pretty cool mm -hmm. and uh, and as for my career uh, mm -hmm. i basically started working in the industry uh like when i was 18 i just started with like you know a student job like in this famous uh, retail store i was mentioning in paris and from them, I, uh, I, um, I took the back door to get into the bigger players in the industry. I, I moved on to uh, work a uh, uh, different position at Asmodi, for instance, uh, as a, a project manager, uh, uh, like marketing, um, and then as a freelancer uh, to do some uh, game design and some, uh, and some yeah, project management. Mm -hmm. I spent uh, one year at Ubisoft as a game designer for a card game. Uh, before going, before moving to the U.S., uh, where I spent three years uh, of my life there uh, for my family, and where I got the opportunity to work uh, for a, a miniature company called uh, Dust, and which allowed me to attend conventions and get to know the the U.S. community, which was mm -hmm. a really really cool cool experience. Especially if you had minis in it, I was like all in. For the last uh, three years, I um, came back to France and I've been uh, working both as uh, project manager slash game designer on some uh, games by uh, like for the publishers directly and on the other part i was working for uh, the crowdfunding agency uh, which is um, a company that helps publishers to get uh, their kickstarter uh, going and uh, to you know like optimize the way they can reach out to the community and the way they can communicate so they can have uh, more people get, getting into the campaign Man, you've been all over the place in the industry already. So touching a lot yeah. of aspects. <laughs> Lots of, you know, like zigzagging here and there, getting to, you know, I mean, it's all about meeting people, uh, meeting people and uh, and being at the right time at the uh, at the right place and, you know, For just sure. doing what you love to do. Because as you said, I'm, I'm really passionate about games uh -huh. and I think many people in our industry are. Yeah, that's, um, that's a nail in the coffin for me, like on how I got into the game, like just being able to share this, this passion with other people at the table, like you can be completely strange with somebody, but you've got this, this game environment, this, this game community that everyone can share in and partake in. It just, it's awesome. I love it. Excellent. Well, yeah. thanks for that. That's a great, great story. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's dive into probably your more recent, uh, efforts on Soul Raiders. So like I said, this game's currently on Kickstarter. This is a solo and cooperative game, of course, being on our channel here, the co-op, uh, one-stop co-op shop. But um, some people might not be aware of what it is. So what is Soul Raiders and how does it play? So Soul Raiders um, is, is a new take on the adventuring and exploration genre. Uh, it's a cooperative game, one to four players. Uh, it's by Marc-André, who did the Splendor or Barony, for instance. And it's been illustrated by a whole host of artists, including Magali Villeneuve, who did the heroes, and Guillaume Tavernier, who worked on the locations. And the premise of the game is that um, you are playing um, powerful warrior mages, which are the hero of the story, and we will uh, we will evolve uh, in a story uh, divided into three chapters. Each chapter uh, of the game is actually a whole setting in itself. It's it's not a scenario. It's it's I would say that it's an environment. So in the first the first chapter is the sanctuary of the Soul Raiders. So the players will get to explore this very old fortress with lots of mystic places, catacombs, natural caves, and stuff like that. Uh, in the second chapter, they will get into a, a city of smugglers. Uh, so they will they will explore the streets, the dungeons, uh, the secret 
passage that that abounds in this kind of setting. And the third chapter, which is the pits, it's kind of an old uh, ring where you have like lots of uh, mystic defenses and where you have the climax of the story of the game. And the whole point of the game is that they will move from one chapter to the other, but the story is experienced in a non-linear way, meaning that in the game you can access uh, a location by uh, lots of different uh, lots of different ways. Uh, you you will not experience the same uh, the same story exactly whether you I mean in between two different game sessions because the player will move from one place to another and and the places are evolving. Uh, that you can flip them, and whenever you flip the location on the other side, uh, some of some events disappear, other uh, enemies can appear, and you will you will have a very different uh, experience from one uh, one one session to another. In these chapters, uh, they you sound like you start with one, chapter one, and the chapter three is the conclusion of it. So, are these linked together? They're not necessarily separate uh, environments, or could I just if I want to just jump straight into chapter two? Uh, you can you can definitely I mean they are you can definitely jump into chapter two or three. It's just that the power level needed is a bit is a bit more intense. So <laughs> uh, you, you you might not live long if you do that. But that's yeah I mean in itself that's a that's a possibility for especially for players who already have have played the game. They can try to their hand at the chapter uh, two or three directly. But definitely there is a the difficulty increase with the game. And so you, the players will have to learn what's interesting or not to collect uh, in a chapter to proceed to the next one, uh, because that's that's the the game is really about the challenge mm -hmm. more than it is about the story. Because the story you will you will learn it. It's kind of the frame of the game. You will you as you play at first you don't know anything, and then you will slowly get to know the objectives that you need to reach, whether they are the core objective or the or the secondary objective for the quest. But what really matters for the fun uh, of the experience is uh, is about beating the game, beating beating the challenge, and this you can you can do it over and over again without without doing the same things. You will know that you will need to reach like this main objective, which is like the nuts of the story to move to the next chapter. But uh, you need to do that at at some point. But before doing that, uh, you you will have to, i mean you will be able to find some other stuff uh in the chapter which are not necessary to progress but that will be a great help for that yeah and i often see different comparisons being made to this game just people trying to figure out what exactly it is but like i've heard hey is this like seventh continent like where you know seventh continent you're exploring this big island and trying to do things on the island for example that's when i see reference a lot is this a similar game in that sense or is it or how is it different that's that's the difficulty about uh, qualifying this this game. It's it's a really different um, a different way to look at the exploration genre. For us, it's not at all uh, like the Seventh Continent because it's much more um, I would say it's uh, more uh, fluid, it's most more fast paced and action focused than something like the Seventh Continent. Uh, the players all play simultaneously. You don't have to wait on your partners to see what's happening in the in the in the story. It's it's a lot about um, optimizing your uh, resources, but on a more like on a, a short term term way of thinking. Meaning that each turn you will draw a hand of cards, and you will have to make the best of those cards to progress uh, to progress in the setting. And you will have to to think about what are the the obstacles that come your way later in the story. 
so you you can save some of the powerful spells you have or try to sa to save portions for later and stuff like that but uh the the way you will navigate in the setting will be uh will be kind of um uh, incitated by the by the cards you have and the way you want to optimize this 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 hand card so it's it's i would say that it's where more where more uh, dense than seven continue and what uh, way more uh yeah I'd say ac action focused, uh, high adrenaline experience. <laughs> if you play the prologue, and it's it's also not it's the the narrative of the game is broken apart in lots of tiny uh, those tiny story cards that you can see on the Kickstarter page, and we did that uh, for two reasons. Uh, first, so you don't spend too much time reading the story instead of playing. Otherwise, you would you would be a very long game <laughs> uh, and you will discover the tidbits of the story uh, here and there and the other reason is that it allows us for this non-linear uh, game design which means that you can you will say uh, it's it's much easier for us to split the stories into tons of different events uh, rather than having a, a big paragraph that is obsolete as soon as something else happened somewhere else you know okay. uh, why whether if you have a tiny story linked to tiny events and to another events and another events even if you don't move in the events the same way you will still uh, discover those those stories yep we did have a question pop up on youtube mm -hmm. from shrey and shrey's question is is a prologue a good indication of how replayable the full game will be how many times can you replay the prologue on tabletopia no, it's not a good indication about the replay uh, ability. That's what we keep uh, <laughs> hammering <laughs> uh, because uh, the prologue is a much uh, denser experience. It's only nine locations instead of 40 for a chapter. And it's it's a bit more scripted. Uh, when you get to play it and you will learn the story, there is there is a specific way that allows you to win the prologue. I mean, I could... I could probably win the prologue very easily because you have to trigger a couple a couple events to uh, to be able to win the game, and it's not the case in the main in the main uh, game because in the main game in those forty locations, Marc Andre the author really made sure that you could access to the objectives in like in a huge number of ways. Whereas in the prologue, there is a path to victory, uh, and this is because at first the prologue was meant to be a tutorial. And in the tutorial, it's much more scripted and you go from A to B to C. Huh? Mm -hmm. And so we expanded it a bit more so people could see the the still the kind of uh, feeling you would have by moving from one location to another. But it's not as replayable as the core game. I would say the prologue, usually people uh, might win it on their second uh, run, if not on the third run at it. Usually they lose on the first, except if they get lucky in the way they <laughs> they explore it, uh, because there's a, there are a couple of traps. But yeah, I would say that you people play tend to play the project three times. We've been talking about it on our Discord. One of the uh, backers played it five times, uh, and you know I think with five times we might have seen all the different secrets from the prologue. But it's it's nine location, fifteen story cards, twelve scripted enemies when a full chapter is 40 location uh, 50 stories and 40 enemies you know so that's definitely a different uh, <laughs> different scope absolutely but but the, the prologue is really here to make you see the 
mechanics of the game and the feeling of exploration and the potential of exploration that you have, the, the, those evolving places, uh, those enemies that move from one uh, place to another, mm -hmm. the way uh, the artificial intelligence is made. So the character, the, the enemies in some situations will follow you. Uh, and want in some other situation, so that's that's about seeing the potential of the game. Yeah, yeah. It, it would have been very hard to show a, a full replay. I mean, very high replayability with just uh, such a, a condensed experience. I think for sure. And you're talking about for the prologue that people are having to play two to three times to be able to win or find the conclusion of that. Um, mm -hmm. And this is a much smaller scope on the. Uh, the first the experience of the I don't know the real game the the first cha yeah, first yeah. chapter for example um, do you expect that to also hold true that it would be two or three times to reach the end or is that number going to increase or decrease in your your estimation I'm referring to Mark in that case because he's the expert on, on that and what he told me is that it might likely be the same like I mean to win on the first try you you would you probably have to get lucky because. Uh, it's a huge maze, mm -hmm. and there's tons of secrets to find everywhere. And the first game, you might be lost in those places, and you you happen to you. I mean, you will find those different secrets, but maybe you wouldn't have you know put the puzzle together when the time the time's up. Maybe you will, but maybe not. And I said on the second run, you're more familiar with the places. You know a few things you want to avoid or you want to go to, and in that case, you might you might you might succeed and move on. Uh, in this game, you you are able to move from one chapter to the next. It means that you can progress to the next chapter, even if you don't, if you didn't get all the stars that are required, but just the the main one. So this is a way for you to proceed, even though you didn't find everything. You know, you don't have to be a, a completist to uh, to to get to the to the next step. Uh, so that's that's how usually people can. I would say that on the second run, you might you might go to the next chapter with maybe with, without all the black stars, and if you go on the third time, you might you might be able to to find enough black stars to to move on. So, I would say that's about yeah two three times to uh, to get to know the chapter pretty well and move on with a decent decent chance for the for the next uh, next chapter. And because this game is played with a deck of cards, your how you use that deck is going to have some influence on what you do in the game um i know that we actually I, mean, I can pull up real quick uh, on the on the screen here at those who are watching um watching youtube the cards themselves have a value and then they also have a, an action that's associated with that value that gives a bonuses to it so if, if i play this card it could give me two plus three if it's a movement action but just two otherwise right and he's that two do do whatever test i'm trying to do if it's movement if it's not movement it's combat or or picking a lock mm -hmm. of weapons b right and so I'm asking the question on if I've played this chapter before and I kind of know where I want to go, is there a way to fast track it? Or is there opportunities where, well, the cards I got don't really allow what I want to do? Or is it just a, a factor of I can't do it as efficiently, but I can still get to where I want to go after an on replay of a game? So yeah, I'd say that there is a way to fast track in 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 the way that uh, you will find that each chapter has shortcuts. Uh, 
uh, that are hidden at the at first. I mentioned it in an update on Friday, I believe. Uh, you can find allies or a means of transportation, which differs from chapter to chapter, uh, which allows you to get from very different points uh, on the map uh, very fast. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is even with the, I mean, whichever, uh, in any way your hand of, I mean, your hand of cards can look like any way you want you will you will still be able to 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 you know get to the to the points you want i believe especially if you know all the all the different opportunities to uh, to move fast and to and you know to sneak around and find find the most efficient way to uh, to proceed through the locations uh, so this becomes a very much a puzzle on the efficiency side of it to, yes to to make it to the end yeah there's a lot of um the, the the word puzzle i think mm -hmm. is pretty adequate uh mm -hmm. because every turn is kind of a puzzle game with what you can do with your hands and where you want to where you want to go and in which which order do you want to unlock this and these benefits and avoid this and these uh, pitfalls that's for sure absolutely hmm. yeah and so this game is based on card play really in the cards uh you have values and actions of what you can do in the game um but the cards are used to complete different um, different tests, and just if people aren't familiar with this, I don't believe there's any any randomness in that sense. It's just randomness of what you get in your car, in your hands and yeah. deciding where do I plumber reaches reaches towards this current uh, scenario I'm in, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Mark didn't want to introduce dice in the game or such, <laughs> even though he's a big he's a big role playing fan and uh, war gamer himself uh, from his uh, his younger years. Uh, but all the randomness uh, is in the hero decks and in the random uh, enemy decks. Mm -hmm. So random en enemy decks are crucial to the core of the game design because there's the one that will hamper your movement and that might make you choose to go right instead of left because this monster will be able to follow you while this one is just you know in the way um and uh, the, the the randomization of the hero deck works the same so that's that's the two core uh, uh, random things all the rest is uh, scripted and it will just trigger depending on the action of the players so the players actually have a very uh, strong hold on the uh, unraveling of the game because they're the one that will trigger the reactions and those reactions are known whenever they want to to take their actions if they they know how much they need to have to uh, succeed like in lock picking a door for instance and it's just about do they have the resources and if not what can they do to to make a good uh, use of the of the of the time they have. Yeah, I also want to get back to a previous point you mentioned, um, being you know a cooperative and solo focused channel. I know there's a lot of solo plays out there, but I want to also talk a little about the cooperation in this because I find it interesting that there are there are no turns in this game. It's just like, mm -hmm. hey, if I want to do something, I just go ahead and do it. It doesn't matter. I don't need to wait for the person in front of me or next to me to go first, right? Um, yeah. So. How does that even? How does that impact the gameplay when you're in a multiplayer scenario? You mean like the way the players interact at the table? Yes, exactly. Or... Right. Uh, so first, I, I would say that it totally depends on the group. Yeah. Uh, some group like to talk about everything before going in, and others are just you know <laughs> free free roaming. When I play, I tend to do my things mm -hmm. <laughs> and like just yeah, play some tricks on my friends. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's the 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 how to say the um, 
the freedom of interaction that Mark left uh, is made so each player can find, you know, with his group of friends, the the, the best way he wants to to, to play the game. Uh, what I would recommend is uh, is having at least some, I mean, a, a slight touch of cooperation to say to to decide, you know, okay, I'm in a bad position. Can can you give me help? Uh, okay, we've never seen this part of the castle. Uh, should I go there while you do other things? So I would, I mean, people talk to between each other. But they don't have to wait on it uh, on each other, which is the the pretty cool part to avoid the leader effect, where you have a guy who says, "Okay, you do this, you do that." Uh, right, you know, that's, right. that's, that we didn't want to have that in this game. So I would say that people need to talk between them uh, to be able to succeed. But they don't have to 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 read every sentence the other players are reading mm -hmm. uh, to understand the story, and uh, because they are focused on their hero and what they experience in the story. That's a uh, the the whole game has been thought as a very immersive experience um you know like just the way you are in the location it's not like you know top down uh, views of a 2d uh, map of a dungeon you know it's more like an immersive view where you see uh like the details of the room and you know like um like the way the players are moving from one place to another, it's like a, a camera uh, following around the characters. You don't you don't get to see all the useless corridors between places or the empty rooms. You're straight at uh, at uh, a point of interest each time the character moves. So it's a lot about immersion, and uh, this immersion is also found in the fact that the players are focused on their hero and they don't have to to wait uh, to see what the others are playing. But otherwise. What I would say, and what Mark also say, that if players keep waiting on each other, reading all the stuff all the players read, I mean, the game might drag on. You know, it, it, it might take a longer time because there's lots of text and lots of stuff to uncover and icons and stuff like sure. that. So you, you have to have do your own experience and know when to you know, contact, uh, get in touch with the other players to decide what you're doing. And if you are replaying a mission, let's get back to replay a, bit, a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I assume that in in your group dynamics, you can choose to divide and conquer in some situations. If if you know that, hey, we need to go grab these items to get to the next area. You go get this one item. I'll go get the next item. We'll be mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. Uh, would that also um, another way of fast tracking uh, the scenario? Yes, definitely, definitely. I mean. That's for sure. You, I mean, just in the prologue, you can see that. Uh, I mean, if you are two players, uh, I was actually talking with again our Discord today that he was telling me that he, he went that way. And I was like, yeah, and if you are two, it's even faster because one of them stay there and the other triggers something and then the other go in. So that's definitely a, a key point to optimize the to optimize the, the, the run if you are playing with uh, different players. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. Does this also make it a little bit easier in some aspects when playing with multiple players? It it depends. The game scales pretty well because when you are more, uh, of course, you need more uh, objectives, but uh, you also attract more monsters and the threats uh, goes uh, increase faster. Mm -hmm. While when you are a solo player, uh, you will have not all the time in the world, but you'll have lots of time to explore and to to move around uh, and to you know um, to see the place because you won't have other people triggering like oh no monsters are coming on me or <laughs> increase the threat or whatnot <laughs> like you're on your own so um, so 
it's really increasing the number of players is a help because you get to see more stuff and you get to coordinate. But at the same time, it can be a hindrance because, you know, more threats uh, and danger coming at you. So uh, I would say that the experience is different at each player count. That's for sure. And what I wanted to say is that uh, if you are several players, uh, usually what, what Mark estimated is that we might see in a single ring like 20% of a chapter maybe. Mm-hmm. Just by the number of locations uh, of uh, actions you have, and you know the number of places you can visit. So if you are playing with uh, several players uh, and you experience twenty percent of the chapter, maybe you would uh, see what the other players are doing. But starting the game again, if you took their path, you will probably find out some stuff that you didn't know because you were too, you know, into your own uh, your own way of exploring the the setting. Yeah, and that's uh, that's interesting because it sounds like. Even if I were to sit down with a group and play through a chapter and maybe come back with a different group, I could I could still like, oh, I know over there, the, you know, my friend Phil, pull that mm-hmm. lever. Let me go pull that lever. But you're saying that I might go do that and explore and find some other things that even the, even Phil didn't find in his play through it. Yes, yes. Okay. And I mean, and there's some stuff that changed the chapter so much, mm-hmm. like the allies that I was mentioning also on, in my update. Uh, in the chapters, you have people hidden. Uh, I mean, people that you can ha- get to join your party. And whenever they join you, um, if you enter some location where you find their icons, you draw a specific story card. And you can picture how the experience might be different if you find somebody uh, from the setting uh, moving on the places. It will flip the locations. It will it will trigger some, some uh, extra events and stuff like that. And your experience will be v- uh, vastly different from one, from one run to another. Depending if you choose to get these assets or not. Uh, on the same vein of having a group to play through this game, uh, do you, is it best to have the same group with the same heroes play through Chapter 1, Chapter 2, Chapter 3? Or can people drop in and out? How is that managed? Uh, so we made it so you have a, a chapter save uh, between between the game. Uh, so the, you will be able to save all the stuff you have. And we are now working on a mid-game save, which was asked by the backers during the Kickstarter, uh, that will uh, that will help you, you know, to 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 split the games, the the chapter in several game sessions. Uh, and I would I would say that yes, if you want to win, you would probably need to have your your party, your heroes from one chapter to another, because they will get experience and they will get items, artifacts. Extra stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be the most efficient way. Uh, this said, it totally depends on your group. You can have, uh, I mean, you, you could keep this save and play it with other players that already know the game mm-hmm. and, you know, start with the chapter two with the, those, these heroes who were played by someone else before. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, doable. Totally. Is it also possible to have a, a, fairly leveled up character that I've been playing through the first chapter and I'm in the second chapter and have mm-hmm. someone new join and they start from ground zero, level level zero, level one, and then also be somewhat, um, or still feel like they're contributing to the overall game without feeling like they're, they, they're not leveled up and not being able to do enough in the game. Yeah, I would say I would say that you can. I've never tried it myself so mm-hmm. far, mm-hmm. but I would say that you can. Like, if you have a, a party of at least two or three experienced solarators and you have one like one new guy showing up, I mean, uh, the solarators are very pro- powerful in itself, in themselves, and so there are. Uh, um, I mean, uh, 
the the other players will have better deck of cards and such but i do i mean the the new players will be able to contribute just simply in the way that it's one more people that can discover a new location and secrets and stuff like that and they can move in the setting you know uh, as the as the as the other characters it's not because solaridos progression is not about levels you know it's like like level one two three four it's it's about you improve your deck uh, organically uh, by adding cards adding cards in it and stuff like that so the power level is not as as set in stone as having you know level one two three four it's more fluid in this way so i'm guessing that you can have a new guy showing up at chapter two and it will uh, it will it will catch up <laughs> excellent uh, let's talk a little bit about the leveling up and the characters and specifically the the soul radius as you play in the game what makes them unique so what makes them unique is uh, at the core it's their deck of cards they all have different decks uh, and even if you know they all have uh, uh, spells cards with bonus movements cards with movement bonus uh, yeah uh, movement and combat sorry um, they have a different repartition of these bonuses and they have different spells uh, Eneko is the only one who has a fireball for instance, Adonis has two teleportation portal spells instead of one. He also can teleport himself and he can switch place with somebody else. Uh, Zia is the only one who has a high number of um, lightning bolt spells in her in her deck. Uh, Mater is the only character that can heal the party or decrease the threat threat track. So each each orator has a. They all have the same core uh, power level, but they have like specificities in the way you will play you will uh, they will interact with their environment they also have a different uh, bonuses for the scripted actions uh, let's say Eneko has a bonus in strength and precision uh, uh, Adonis in perception and strength and so on and so forth so there are uh, there are tiny there are differences that make them like unique in their own way and it's the same for the product progression the heroic action uh, cards have the same asymmetry so uh, uh, I was talking about the fireball spell. Actually, Z Zaya gets it in the later uh, Eric action cards of the game because she's a pretty aggressive sword rider, but others might not get it at all. Would this also affect how you approach different challenges in the game? Let's say I played through a scenario and I know there's a big bad guy, but I've been playing this the soul raider that's particularly good at combat, and I'm playing a new soul raider I haven't played before who's maybe more elusive um mm -hmm. I'm, would this also affect that replayability and now i'd find a different way to approach that that problem yes for sure the more the, the best example that comes to my mind is as i was saying adonis uh because he's my favorite <laughs> personally uh because he has lots of movements spells uh, movement chain at the ends he doesn't hit as hard as the other as an echo for instance which is like the real uh, strong guy in the in the lot but uh the fact that he can swap his place with another soul rider or that he can teleport to a place that he's already been seen without the need of a teleportation portal is some is uh, yeah it's assets that are very interesting uh, when you start to know the chapter and you know uh, how you want to move in this chapter and if you if you need this extra movement you might go for him instead of another hero for instance definitely hmm. uh one other thing i want to call out we talked about a little bit in the beginning but i want to focus on it a little bit because i think it's phenomenal is the art in this game is fantastic i love this Thank art you. and uh, you mentioned uh, some of the artists 
in the game. Yeah. I know uh, Magali, for example, uh, she uh, I played a lot of, like I mentioned earlier, Lord of the Rings Living Card Game, and she did a lot of art on that, which is absolutely amazing. And I think mm-hmm. she did Magic the Gathering, and, and even the uh, locations are gorgeous as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we have a huge cast of artists. I mean, I, it's like over 20 artists who <laughs> helped us on this game. <laughs> That's a lot. Magali and Guillaume are probably the most mm-hmm. well-known. Uh, and uh, uh, Jérôme, uh, Jérôme is actually the guy who, um, who is uh, a colleague who's uh, coordinating all the, all the art. Uh, that's the whole job in itself, and he he, he has the the hard work to to coordinate the artists, make sure you know they get the the vision of the game and they can have their own style uh, in the game too. Mm-hmm. And it's a uh, shout out to him because that's a that's a very uh, it's a very <laughs> intense intense work, and uh, yeah, it's uh, we have some like Guillaume Tavernier did only the locations mm-hmm. uh, and a few characters, uh, but the, all the scripted enemies are done by uh, a variety of different artists. Magali is the one who did the heroes, so we have this kind of you know uh, uh, like specificities for each artist we uh, we work with. Excellent. I have um, a few more questions, but I'm um, getting towards the end of my list of questions. And just a quick heads up to anybody who's watching live on YouTube. If you have questions, drop them in the chat now. We'll get them addressed. But uh, if you don't, that's fine, too. I'll run through these questions, and uh, we'll get close to the end here. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the questions I always like to ask is, what are some of the biggest challenges you face when trying to bring Soul Raiders to life? Hmm. There are many because it's a very ambitious game. <laughs> uh, I would say just the design itself mm-hmm. uh, took years of development from Mark uh, because uh, the fact that you can approach a story from many different ways and having to deal with the chronological order of the events Mm-hmm. is uh, was a huge task i mean i just saw it uh just with the prologue there are a few things uh that i, I was working on uh, with mark and i was like wrecking my brain like okay but if this guy is supposed to be dead how can the location flip after that and you know this kind of thing like but if you're invisible uh, and he doesn't see you why is he there you know there's a uh, in terms of co- cohesivity it's it's uh it's it's a big challenge because the 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 story comes from the game design in Soul Raiders and not the other way around, and that's the icons that generate the 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 story for the players. I mean, they will they they will interpret the the icons, uh, the actions they they take, and the way they discover the the, the story cards. Mm-hmm. So I would say that the game design was probably the the highest the hardest uh, part, mm-hmm. and then it was a long yeah very long work to get all the art and everything done. But to me, for for me, one of the hardest thing is to uh, to make sure that people get the essence of the game. That that's the hardest. I've been start, uh, trying to do that since the beginning of the campaign because people keep comparing it, as you say, like seven continents, mm-hmm. integral, mm-hmm. stuff like that, and explaining to the people what the game is about without spoiling the story uh, and without spoiling all the thing you can do in it. It's that's that's a very big challenge because you know of course people want to know if they will be able to play and play and play over the, the game over uh, over over and again but uh, it's 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 hard to uh, it's hard to to do that so you have to distill bits of informations here and there and tell them about the big mechanics 
and make sure they don't they don't get confused about the kind of uh, game they are uh, backing. You know, right. that's the the part we don't want people to be uh, disappointed when they get the game because they were uh, they were uh, hoping to have I don't know a big a big game where you read tons of. Uh, tons of text about the story and like a uh, story driven game while it's more about the challenge and i mean it's it's a it's a it's a difficult um let's say that's equ equilibrium to find uh you know that's a that's a dance yeah for sure <laughs> that's what that was a challenge yeah and it still is yeah i had this discussion on our discord as well with a few folks and one of the questions that they want to ask is we've seen the prologue through some other reviews playing through it but they're curious if there was any opportunity to show a bit more, like uh, more like a start, the start of the first chapter, for example, that they can get a better feel for what this game really is. Because like you said, it's it's really hard to judge what this is when you're trying to like explain the mechanics, but not spoil anything, right? It's a really tough uh, equilibrium on balance, like you mentioned. Um, I don't know if there's any any thoughts around that aspect. Well, we um, we thought about it, and I can. I mean, the campaign still have two weeks to go, so uh, I will probably uh, talk about it again uh, with uh, with one for all with Mark and Isham, uh, and see if we wanted to have a bit more uh, spoiler intensive uh, demonstration, <laughs> uh, just for them to have a. a, a um, a clearer uh, yeah view of it sure uh, so yeah we are we are considering it at the moment we still have two weeks to go and that that might be an option but at when you started the campaign we didn't plan to do it you know we were yeah. like okay let's keep this surprise because otherwise you know people won't have you know the the, the, the fun will be spoiled exactly but now maybe <laughs> it's, it's a tough problem to solve i mean a lot of people yes. who have these these stories like what do you do you want to you want to like share this awesome experience that you've been having because you've been playing the real game but, but you also don't want people to uh to yeah it's it. it's i mean on a story uh, i mean on a game which is like that which has some yeah. strong narrative components and and exploration yeah. uh uh secrets everywhere it's uh it's hard to uh to communicate on absolutely Okay, let's uh, talk a little bit more about the Kickstarter itself. So you've got a few more weeks as of this this current recording to back it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about what's going to happen after the campaign. I We mentioned at the beginning of this that there's likely going to be some type of a late back option, I assume, for a period of time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, the, probably the big question is, is this going to hit retail or is this only going to be a Kickstarter product? Yeah, it's, that's that's what we've been ex explaining in the combine. It's it's not gonna hit retail. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's uh, too uh, because it's too expensive. Yeah, it's it's uh, very costly to produce. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a lot, uh, and it's not about the miniatures. It's about also the the cardboard stock and the art and all the work uh, we put in the in the in the quality of the components we'll have. And this this couldn't hit retail with a decent price, so it won't. Yeah. Uh, it will be excluded. I mean, it will be available during the campaign, during the late pledge uh, period. We'll have we'll have one, uh, even though depending on the situation uh, in the world, we might not. I mean, the prices might be different if you didn't get into the campaign and you get into the late pledge. It will. We are hoping not to, but it will depend on the on the factory costs, yeah. uh, and, and then. We might, depending on the campaign, we might have some left in direct sales at conventions and stuff like that. You see, uh, if we if we produce a, li a little bit extra, 
but uh, mm-hmm. the publisher doesn't plan at all to be to do to be doing a retail. That's not the kind of product that that would be efficient in retail. Like you know, I don't know if people uh, would be ready to spend uh, like twice the price <laughs> of the Kickstarter product uh, when you know it's mostly cards and stuff like that. It's right. uh, it's complicated. For sure, for sure. Now this one, this campaign has had three different chapters in it. And I feel mm-hmm. like this is prime for potential future support and or maybe a, a, a another completely different campaign. Is that something that would be a possibility in the future? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it depends on the, uh, again, it depends on the overall success. And, yes. but if, if one for all is happy with the campaign, we definitely uh, can think about follow up. Excellent. That's for sure. That that's something we addressed early in the campaign because everybody was asking for a fourth chapter. Mm-hmm. But a fourth chapter is—I mean, a chapter is so big and it's so much time and and money and energy to create one that we couldn't like promise a chapter without delaying the game by one year. You know. Sure. Uh, and we didn't. It's it's not like we the game was four chapter and we stripped it uh, of one to put it back in the campaign. No, that's it's absolutely not like that. It's too big of a of uh, of a work to do like that. So we we said from the start or almost that it's three chapters. There will not be a four chapters. It will if there's something else, it will be after the campaign. Sure. Uh, but what we are uh, doing now with the stretch goal is that we are including chapter modules that will uh, change the locations in a story. When you do a, a new run, you can just swap some of the locations with the chapter module, and it will totally like change the change the, the way you will approach the chapter. Yeah, that's a good way of adjusting a little bit without doing a full chapter, yeah. because I can imagine with a full chapter, you also have to make sure that there's not an opportunity for people to run to a dead end and get frustrated, right? You need to make sure that there's always an alternative or something cleared for people to act, act on. Yeah. Yes, and plus just the whole the whole way the game was designed, it was it was made to encapsulate three chapters, mm-hmm. and that's it. I mean, regarding the power level of the soul raiders, the options they have when they progress, we didn't design the game. Uh, I mean, if they would get into a four chapter, it would be uncharted territory. We would have to plan for so much more stuff that we couldn't be sure of the balance and you know and everything like that. So it's uh, that's that's for a future uh, potential thing. Excellent. Well, that's the end of my questions. I don't see any other questions on YouTube here, but uh, real quick, uh, where can people f- best find you? Beside the Kickstarter campaign, you mean? Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I would say that they can, they can talk to us uh, very easily in our Discord. We have uh, the crowdfunding agency Discord, uh, which is where we talk about Soul Raiders. We have a, a section dedicated to Tabletopia and one to Soul Raiders. So if anybody has questions besides on the Kickstarter campaigns, they, come, they, they can go there and, uh, and uh, chat with us. We, if it's more about... Um, introduction about the game and seeing the previews and everything we do have a website uh i believe where they can go check it out all the stuff that's been there and subscribe to the newsletter excellent i do have a link on the youtube description uh below if you're watching on youtube so you can go check out the kickstarter right now cool but excellent thanks jim so much for your time this was a blast talking about soul raiders 
Yeah, yeah, it was something I didn't say at the beginning when you asked me about Soul Raiders, but I, I really wanted to say it is that the, the philosophy of Soul Raiders is like a, a role-playing game with the tight mechanic of a board game. That's that's how Mark describes it best. That's that's what he wanted to do with this uh, ambitious project. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, that seems seems apt from what we've been seeing, so excellent. <laughs> cool. Well, I don't... Thanks for having me uh, here. Yeah, always. We'll have to find another time to, to sync up in the future. So, but anyone, thanks for watching, and we'll see you at the next stop. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop, or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list.